Good morning. Good morning. This morning's passage is an Old Testament passage from Genesis chapter 28, verses 10 through 19. <clears throat> Jacob left Beersheba and went toward Haran. He came to a certain place and stayed there for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones of the place, he put it under his head and lay down in that place. And he dreamed that there was a ladder set up on earth, the top of it reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And the Lord stood beside him and said, I am the Lord, the God of Abraham, your father, and the God of Isaac. The land on which you lie, I will give to you and to your offspring. And your offspring shall be like the dust of the earth, and you shall spread abroad to the west and to the east and to the north and to the south, and all the families of the earth shall be blessed in you and in your offspring. Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go and will bring you back to this land, for I will not leave you until I have done what I have promised you. Then Jacob woke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. And he was afraid and said, How awesome is this place! This is none other than the house of God, and this is the gate of heaven. So Jacob rose early in the morning, and he took the stone that he had put under his head and set it up for a pillar and poured oil on the top of it. He called that place Bethel, but the name of the city was Luz at the first. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, Jim. So God, would you uh, this morning give us ears to hear you, what you're saying to us, how you're with us. Meet us, meet us here. We know that you're present. We love you. Amen. Amen. How's everyone doing? Uh, where to begin? Uh, you know what? I'm going to just sort of name a little bit of a thing, and we're going to talk about it a little bit in the sermon, actually, but... Um, Goodbyes are hard, and they keep kind of coming. And I guess I, what I didn't want to do is n not say what, what I'm thinking about that. And I, I don't feel, um, what's the word? I don't feel hopeless, right? I'm not like thinking something's dead or broken. But it's, it is a, a tricky season where something new seems to be springing up. And so my hope is that as a community, that we can all be together, and we can see it and sense what God's doing, and then move into it together. So, um, but if you feel sad, don't, don't pretend you're not sad about it, things, all right? It's okay to, to be where you are. It's okay to be um, full of grief, to have grief. And um, we, can, we can occupy more than one, one feeling or one space at a time, so... Okay, uh, I want to read you one of my favorite stories. Um, so a little setup here. <clears throat> what we're talking about today is God's presence among us. 
And um, I've got this book that I love by, um, it's so good. It's by a guy named Lawrence Kushner. He's a, he's a rabbi. He, it's just, and it's all about this story that we read this morning. It's like seven different views um, on, on the story of Jacob going, waking up from a, a dream where he experiences God's presence and goes, oh, surely God was in this place and I, I did not know. It's the name of the book. God was in this place and I, I did not know. And so in the, in the book, he tells this story and he, um, about two guys named Reuben and Shimon. Um, and the way he sets up the story is by making sure that the reader knows that it, within the Jewish mindset, the greatest miracle in the Old Testament is the, is the parting of the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. That that's the, that's the greatest miracle that nothing compares. Um, he says, you know, even um, more than all the miracles combined by all of the prophets and, uh, and, and the judges and all of them. And yet, while this is the greatest miracle, there's a story in the, what's called the Midrash. And the Midrash is like um, creative wonderings about stories in, in the Old Testament. And they're old enough where these are probably stories or invitations to consider what's going on in the scripture that Jesus would have been familiar with, right? We don't know that. You can't prove it. Um, they don't get written down until a few hundred years later, but for them, it was an oral tradition. So I like to think that this is a story Jesus like, was told as a child, right? His parents are telling him the Passover story about how God um, parted the sea, but not everybody was experiencing the presence of God that way. So here's, this is the story of Reuben uh, and Shimon. Apparently, the bottom of the sea, though safe to walk on, was still not completely dry, but muddy, like a beach at low tide. Reuben stepped into it, curled his lip, and said, what is this muck? Shimon, Simon, scowled and said, there's mud everywhere. This is just like the slime pits in Egypt. Shimon said, yeah, What's the difference? Mud here, mud there. It's all the same. And so it went for the two of them, grumbling all the way across the sea. And because they never once looked up, they never understood why on the distant shore everyone else was singing songs of praise. For Reuben and Shimon, the miracle never happened. What's true is we can go through life where God is actively saying, hello, I am here, I am with you, and for some reason or another, we can't see it. And what I don't want to do is I don't want to shame Reuben and Shimon this morning, although, I don't know, I kind of do. I kind of want to be like, come on, look up. Pay attention. Do you know where you are? Like, this is holy ground you're standing on. But the truth is, we're always in and out of awareness of God's presence in our life. So I'm, I'm curious um, about what it looks like for us to be thinking about God being present with us. Well, I wonder what, um, maybe just a couple things, questions to sort of think about before we dive in. Like, what would it be like if God was near us all of the time? What would that be like for you? How would, how would that, how do you imagine that experience would look in your life? If God was near all the time, 
would things change for you? And when I say, if God was near all the time, what I really mean is if you were awake to it, if I was awake to it, if we were awake to it. But what would it look like for you? Would you and, and, well, would you want that? Would you really want, do you really want God's ever always presence in your life? I think we want it sometimes. What is a life believing that God is near or present in this place of our life look like? And I think maybe this might seem like a jump, but I think it's ex- we're talking about the same thing here, this, this next question. What do you come here today hungry for? What is the thing that you want that you don't have? What are you looking to change? My guess is I'm, I'm suspicious that that thing we're hungry for is the very place, if we're ready and willing, we'll find God within. So here's what I want to do this morning, um, kind of with that in mind. I want to... um, I want to, uh, we're just going to look at scripture. And um, what I want to do is present to us what scripture says about God's presence. Because I'm not sure that we're always thinking about what scripture's telling us. And I'm not telling you you have to believe what scripture says. You got to figure that part out. But I, I think sometimes we get the wrong idea or we get confused or somebody tells us something or we experience life in a certain way and while we're in a particularly vulnerable moment, somebody speaks a really powerful word that sort of sets trajectory for our life. You know, like when life keeps falling apart. You know, imagine you're in a church and people, you know, that we love keep saying goodbye. And imagine how that might maybe feel. And you might go, well, God can't, God must not be here. Or think something along those lines, which you're not, I'm, you're entitled to think, you know, think and feel whatever you want. But the tr- what's true in scripture is that we find God showing up all of the time, present with people in all of the moments of their life, when things are going the way they want and when things are not going the way they want. So we're just going to look at a, a katana, like is the old word for it, or a chain of scriptures that sort of talk to us about this. So uh, thoughts, questions, anybody got anything, anything bubbling up? Dan, you always got something. Not yet. All right. Okay. So Genesis 29, 16, we just read it. Um, surely the Lord or surely uh, God is in this place and I, I did not know it. So we have Joseph waking up from a dream realizing that God was with him all the time, the whole time. Now, does anybody, what's, uh, Joseph is going from his home to, to go see his uncle because his dad told him to get married, but there's, there's some subtext to this. Why is he, what are the circumstances of his leaving? Does anybody remember? What did he do? What's, 
What's, um, what's part of Jacob's difficult story? Okay, he is afraid of retaliation from his brother. Just a few verses earlier uh, in Genesis 28, uh, sorry, Genesis 27, 41 says, now Esau hated Jacob because of the blessing with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, the days of mourning for my father are approaching, then I will kill my brother. Okay, 2741, this is, this is what Esau says of Jacob. And 2816, Jacob is moving from, he's, he has left that difficult situation and he's going to something new. And in between those spaces, he falls asleep and he has a dream that God is with him in the middle of this circumstance. It's not just this place that God is unexpectedly present in. It's not just, God's not just in Bethel. God is present for Jacob when he is in a broken situation running for his life. This is the good news. This is, this is the gospel, that God is with us in all of the moments of our life. Listen, whatever happened between Jacob and Esau, and there's a couple different ways you can cut it, Jacob is culpable. He's participating in the brokenness between them. He's got some share of it. And surely God is with him in this place. Now, there's something curious about this. Um, does anybody, um, when he, he sees the ladder, or in Hebrew, it's ladder, or it's a ramp, which is a fascinating way to think about it, right? Like, I'm seeing like a, like a half pipe, and I'm seeing angels, you know. Okay, but what are the angels doing? All right, they're ascending and descending. And now if we, reveal, if we read this very literally, okay, if we just read it as it says, it reveals something about God's activity and presence in our world. If they're ascending and then descending, what does it tell us about their starting point? Where are they? They're on earth. And by the way, angel is just a fancy term for messenger. It's just the people who have been sent by God or the, or the creatures, the angelic, right? It could be the, the, the scary big things that say, do not fear when they show up. Or it could just be humans, right? This word is, it's got a whole range, but the most important part is they are bearing God into the world. And so when Jacob falls asleep and he sees this and he says, surely God was in this place and I, I did not know it, what he sees is that there's already God at work around him. He doesn't see the angels come down and he's like, oh, you're here. No, they've been here the whole time. In your life, in my life, when we don't see it, when we don't want it, God is present. I just love this. You move the story forward a, a, a generation and the dysfunction in Jacob and Esau has somehow passed on to Jacob's kids, Israel's kids, right? The, the 12 brothers. And what's the brother's name that they throw in a pit? Joseph. Now listen to this. Uh, Joseph was thrown into a pit, by the way, and then he gets taken out of the pit and, you know, things happen. He ends up, he ends up 
things go better for him. And then just when things go better for him, he ends up not in a pit, but in a prison, a different kind of a pit, right? And while Joseph was there in the prison, God was not with him. That's not what it says. What does it say? What does it tell us? The Lord was with him. Perhaps this is at odds with how we experience life. Perhaps this is at odds with what we want to believe or what we think. That's fine. But what Scripture is telling us, okay, what, what this book that reveals the story of God in this creation that God made and God loved is telling the story of a God who's present with us all of the time. We move forward into the story, Exodus 13, 21. The Lord was going before them in a pillar of cloud by day to lead them on the way in a pillar of fire at night to give them light, okay? While they're on their journey out of Egypt, out of oppressed lives, not knowing where they're going, where is God? A, a, a cloud by day and fire by night. Exodus 20, 24. In every place where I cause my, in every place where I cause my name to be remembered, I will come and bless you. In every place. Where's God's name to be remembered? Everywhere. I will come to you. Uh, Psalm 139, 18. Uh, when I awake, I am still with you. And I don't think the psalmist is just talking about sleepy sleep. I think the psalmist is talking about when we are asleep at the wheel of our life. And we wake up and we think, oh, God's angry at me. I gotta do some things to get God to like me again. Guess what? That's not how scripture portrays God. You might want to do it because you feel the need to do some like reconciliation, some restitution, which can be really healthy. But as long as you're doing it out of a changed heart, not because you're trying to get God to not be mad at you. Exodus 25, 8, let them construct a sanctuary for me that I may dwell among them. And that word uh, dwell is fun. It's, it, it means, uh, we translate it also as like tabernacle. So the place where God was dwelling was just called the dwelling. So God wants to create a place where God can dwell among them. And uh, John 1.14, the word became flesh and what? Dwelled among us. It's actually the word became flesh and tabernacled among us. Like what John's saying about Jesus, about the word made flesh, is that he's that thing that's with us, that's revealing God's presence to us. And you know, all throughout the Old Testament, we, we get these, these scenarios where it sounds like God's being, like, like we're dropping a pin on your GPS map. Right, I, 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 I decide to send you all, I'm gonna get all your phone numbers right now on my phone and I'm gonna, I'm gonna send a pin to where we're gonna go and I'm gonna tell you God's gonna be here. Maybe I'll drop a pin right on the church. But what's not true is God's, God is here, but where, where is God also? What, see? Everywhere else. There's nowhere God's not. Psalm 24, one, the whole earth is the Lord's and all that is within. When Solomon's dedicating the temple, what does he say in his prayer? He says, but will God indeed dwell on the earth? Even the highest heavens cannot contain you, much less this house that I have built. These, these things were never ever meant to fix God in a position, in a place, in a moment. 
But that's what we want to do, right? We want to harden things. We want to turn verbs into nouns. We want to make it super simple. We want check boxes. We want to believe that a life where God is presence means there's a, it's a life without anything difficult. That's not the witness of Scripture. It's not the witness of Jesus' life. If we believe, right, Jesus is the Son of God, is the second person of the Trinity, is the Word made flesh, how does his life go swimmingly? It is hard. Exodus 33, 14 through 15. My presence shall go with you and give you rest. Exodus 34, 9. Uh, Lord, go along in our midst, even though the people are so obstinate and pardon our iniquity and sin and take us as your own possession. I love this prayer. Moses is like, listen, you're going to be with us kind of in spite of how we distance ourselves from you and forget about you. Don't throw us off because we've thrown you off. God, we know you're the more faithful one. I mean, what, how about that for good news, right? God is present with us and God is more faithful than you can ever think about being faithful. So the goal for you isn't to try to faithful your way into it. It's already there for you. Uh, this is my favorite one, Leviticus 1.1. You, know you know the sermon's a banger when we go to Leviticus, right? Everybody's favorite. Leviticus 1.1. The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. <laughs> what? I missed that in Leviticus. I thought it was all blood, guts, and gore. There's a little bit of that, right? The, 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 the priests were more butchers than talkers back in the day. You're not a butcher anymore, though. Dang. I'm going to take some of you getting used to. Dave used to be. Anyways, sorry, right? The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. This is what God has desired for his people, for God's people forever and ever, is a, a meeting place. That's what it's all about. And by the way, many of those sacrifices were meals that were shared between people. There were the ones that were like just burnt up. But many of them, like when you would go to do some reconciliation, you would bring it with the person that you had some trouble with. I think it was the peace offering. But don't, you know, you Google me and check my work here. Um, but but the, you, they would share a meal. A meal to broker peace. Ah, love it. The Lord summoned Moses and spoke to him from the tent of meeting. I, I can't tell you how happy I was when I discovered that that's how the weirdest book in the Bible for me starts off with God talking about, hey, everything that's happening here is about relationship. It's about connection. And it's about connection between, right? It's what Jesus says, the great commandment, right? It's about right goodness, you know, connection with God, but also with each other. Uh, okay, we were in this this morning a little bit for some of our prayers. Psalm 139. I, th man, when I discovered Psalm 139, like really discovered it, like listened to it, it just blew my life wide open. I'm going to start at uh, verse 7, Psalm 139, verse 7. I actually probably could have just, we could have just talked about this this morning. But where can I go from your spirit? Okay, the psalmist is saying... The psalmist sounds like Jonah. Go to Nineveh. What's Jonah do? He gets on a boat and he goes the opposite direction. 
Now, we might imagine that things won't end well for Jonah, and there's a, there is a swim. There's a little bath. There's a baptism for him. Okay, like he enters into the water one way, and he comes up another way. There is a death for him. He's swallowed by the fish for how, anybody remember how long? Three days. So now we're like talking about, I mean, right, like resurrection. We're talking about what's happening with Jesus. And then he gets spit out, and then what happens after that? The word of the Lord came to Jonah again. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I ascend to the heaven, where are you? There. If I make my bed in Sheol or the grave, where are you? There. If I take the wings of the morning and settle to the farthest limits of the sea, now we're getting Jonah, some Jonah vibes again. Where Even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me and the light around me become night. Listen, if my life becomes so terrible that even the things that are bright become dark, even darkness is not dark to you. The night is as bright as the day for darkness is as light to you for it is you who formed me, my inward parts. The psalmist is talking about, there's nowhere you can go. There's nothing you can do. You can, tr- you can test it all day long. You can test it your entire life. You can live in a way where you think, oh, God can't even stand this, right? Like, I'm gonna make such a mess of my life that it'll be too stinky for God. And you might continue to turn away, but the moment you turn around, who's there? Where can I go? Where can I flee? You're everywhere. And then Jesus, at the end of Matthew, says, after he sends his friends out into the world, he tells them, I'm with you always, even to the end. Paul, writing a letter to a church, says, do you not know that you are God's temple? That God's spirit dwells in you? You and I, us, can never be outside of God's presence because we are the, like the temple. We're the house. We're the place that God's spirit dwells. You can't run away from yourself. You can try. You can pretend like this isn't the story you're living in, but what, what's, what, what scripture tells us is that every human being is made in God's image and likeness and that, that God's breathed life into us. Every breath you take is a reminder of God's presence in your life. Thank goodness it's automatic. Like, that could remind us. When we wake up in the morning and we take, and when when we feel our first breath, it can remind us of God's presence with us. And you don't have to do anything to earn it. You just do it. Uh, John, writing to to a a church he's pastoring, says, no one has seen God at any time 
But if we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. How do we, how do we see this happen? By loving each other. How do we experience God's presence? Like if you're sitting here today and I'm talking and you're like, blah, blah, blah. Fair enough, right? Or you're thinking, this is not played out in my life, Daniel. Amen, me too. It, it, it's almost like it takes a step into it before you can start to see it happen. It's almost like we have to move from being um, consumers or um, part of the crowd or spectators into participants before these things start to go, oh, and we start to see the mud at our feet differently. Because it's all mud. Reuben and Shimon, they weren't wrong. They were walking in mud in Egypt and they were walking in mud across the Red Sea, but it was, and it maybe was the same mud, right? Maybe it felt the same, but it was a very different story. Uh, two more verses. Um, this is Revelation 21, one through three. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. The sea was no more. And then I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem come down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice. Okay, this is God yelling. A loud voice from the throne saying, see, the home of God is among the sons and daughters of Adam and Eve. He will dwell with them as their God. They will be God's people and God himself will be with them. That's how, like, Revelation 21 is about the end of the book. And the end sounds an awful lot like the beginning. Because where where, where's God and the humans at the beginning? They're in a garden. We're, God's walking around with them. And maybe just to notice two more things. Um, after Adam and Eve choose to live against the grain of God's love, as the, the God has directed them to, to, to not do one thing, really. And they decide they're gonna, they do it. And then they hide themselves in nakedness and shame and all these things sort of enter into the world. Um, they're asked to do what? Or they're told to do what? It's actually, they're sent and they're exiled. Um, but w- w- they're sent and exiled from what? The garden. Um, now, I think we probably interpret this as God kicks them out because God can't stand to be with them anymore. Right? I mean, maybe you didn't, but I did for many, many years. I read it that way. Except it's actually pretty clear. God says, listen, they can't be here because the tree of life is here. And if they eat from the tree of life, this is a problem for how they are now. So God sends them out or exiles them from the garden, call it what you want. Um, and then where, where is God after that? Is God absent from the story? Nope. God is still with them. God's not stuck in the garden. While Cain is doing his thing, God is with Cain every second of the way, every step of the way, speaking to Cain, inviting Cain to life. When the humans leave the garden, it is not being sent away from God and it is not an exile from God. There's a thing, there is a thing, absolutely, but it's not about God's presence. 
You only think. Your life only feels. You've only interpreted your life as God's absence. And I'm not saying it's not a reasonable assumption. I'm not saying sometimes our life is not so broken that we don't think and reasonably feel, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? I'm just saying that underneath all of that, from, from Genesis to Revelation, the story is God's with, God's presence with people always and in all things. And I love, and I think this is missed so often, um, what's, the first, what's the first word in the Bible? Probably in your translation of the Bible. Say again. In. Where is God? In. In the beginning. God is present, participating from the beginning through all of the things. God doesn't set the world spinning and say, peace out. The story starts and continues, even in brokenness, until healing with God's presence with us. This is, this is good news. I mean, this is what Jesus reveals. This is what Jesus does. This is what Jesus says to and for us. Which is what he's revealing. The presence of God among us. And then he invites all of us, me and you, into a life where that becomes what we do. Very much, I think God is less, far less interested in our vocations. Like, you know, am I going to be a painter or a teacher or a butcher or a truck driver or, a, you know, whatever but then how we do those things in the world, what our mindset is, what our heart is, what we bring into it, what our real goal is. And it's an invitation to recognize today God's presence with us. Despite or in spite or in thankfulness for our life. So today, this is where I wanna drop us off and then we'll come to the table together. Um, let's take a moment and, and be still and uh, consider what it means for God to be present in our lives. What, is that, what does that look like? How do we feel about that today? Or how are we coming in? And then we'll come to the table together.